Thank you so much for, uh, for, for being with us this morning. My name is Brendan. I, I'm one of the pastors here. And so this, uh, these couple weeks, we are in a, uh, a three-part series uh, on the love of God. We're just calling it it's the deep end, God's unfathomable love. And the reason that we're doing this, uh, you know, taking a break from kind of our, our First Corinthians plan. I told you know told you everyone saw me take a break from that. Is just because because I really believe that you know we we're dry and thirsty and weary and what we need what I need is to just to drink deeply from God's love to to see more clearly and feel and experience more deeply His unfathomable love, deeper than I can imagine, broader than I know. And so this, so last week and this week and next week is just kind of a, a, a pause from our regular sermon programming. To, we just want to dive in, and we want to, we want to drink deep. We want to go deep. And so you know, last week, so last week, Don, Pastor Don started this this series with looking really at, at God's triune nature and God, God's Trinitarian love. Um, so, so talking about deep end, we just you know just dove right in last week. You know, I, I, uh, Don and I were talking. I'm like, Don, can you just you know really just kick off the series and in one sermon, can you just kind of unpack and explain the the bottomless mysteries of God's triune nature? Like you know, 35 minutes. That's not a problem, right? <laughs> and uh, and, and Don did. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Uh, Don helped us scratch the surface, dip, dip our toes into the deep end of, of God's triune love, this everlasting love between God the Father and, and the perfect image of himself, God the Son, and that love manifested from all eternity as God the Holy Spirit, that, that this this perfect triune relationship of love, that this is the heartbeat of all existence. This is, this is the, the raging fire, the inferno at the center of all reality is this relationship of love. You know, and all creation is an overflow of, of that relationship of love. You know, God, God was not up in heaven one day like lonely like he wasn't bored. He wasn't like, man, I need some friends, so I'm going to make a world like that. Like that is not God. That is not the God of the Bible. God didn't. God wasn't lonely. God wasn't bored. God didn't need you because he himself, he's the very definition of fullness. He is. He's complete, and he's so all satisfying in himself that he just wanted to share the wealth. And so, so that great love went public. But of course, you know, to, to, to go public, you, you need a public. And so God made a public. He made a universe. And God, so the all creation, the whole universe is just an overflow of God's fullness, an overflow of this great love that we scratched the surface of last week. And so the whole universe is just a stage on which this drama of love can be acted out. That's why everything exists. That's why you and I exist. You and I were created as human beings, and if you're in Christ, you're redeemed by Jesus 
to be caught up into that relationship of love, to this, this great drama, to, to play a part in it, to, to walk straight into the fiery forges of creation and not be burned. Like, this is what we were made for. This is the love we were made for. But so often, our experience of this mighty love, this deep end love can be very shallow, right? Because like, we're, we're busy. We, we got stuff going on. We're distracted people. And so we can come in here on Sunday morning worn out, discouraged by all of the, the, the mountains of the cares of this life and lose sight of the, the ocean, the bottomless ocean of God's love for us. And so we, we want to dive in. And so last week was the, the, the God's triune love. This week, we're going to look at the, the experience of that love. Because see, like, I, I don't want to just like, know stuff about God's love. I, I, I want to experience, like, right? Like, I, I don't want to just know things. I, I, I want, there's a, whole, a huge difference, right, between knowing about God and knowing God. And I, I want to know him. I want to know this love because I, I don't just, I just don't, don't want to just learn about water. Like, I'm dying of thirst. Give me a drink. And so today we want to look at the experience of God's love and hopefully by by God's grace to actually enter into that experience of God's love. And so the the, the big idea of this message, you want to take notes, kind of follow along, the the big idea of this message is that that the Holy Spirit, that that third person of the Trinity, the, the love of God made manifest, that the Holy Spirit brings us into an experience of God's love by showing us the cross of Christ. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but what we're going to do is I want to go to Romans chapter 5. The the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapter 5, to see how this is unpacked and to apply it, and hopefully, hopefully by God's grace that we can see his word and it can come alive, even in our midst today, that he would help us see and experience, not just know stuff intellectually, but experience greater depths of God's love for us. So if you have a Bible, open up to, to Romans, Romans chapter 5. I'm going to put it up here on, on the screen. So Romans, Romans 5, Paul, Paul's been talking about this this great work that God has done in saving us, and he's, and he's been talking about even things like that suffering produces character, character produces hope, hope doesn't put us to shame, doesn't leave us empty-handed because, and then here's kind of where we're going to pick up this thread in verse 5, Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Four, because while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though you know, perhaps you know, maybe for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is, this is God's word to us. This is God's heart for us. So, so let, let's, let's dive in. Let's unpack this. There's kind of two, two main things that I want us to, to see here. We're going to start to looking at, at the Spirit, the, whole, the Holy Spirit, because the big idea is that the Holy Spirit brings us into the experience of God's love. So we're going to look at, at, at the Spirit, how he does that, and then we're going to look at the cross. Because those two things together are what this passage is all about. And you know, what, what Don said, said last week, you know, in, in describing, kind of in doing our, our, our very best attempt to wade into the mystery of the Trinity, and you know, we, we have to be, be careful here because any, any analogy, any description of the Trinity, you're on thin ice over an ocean of mystery. Uh, but it's what we saw last week. And if you haven't listened to that message, go, go back and listen. Really, really great message of just... Diving, diving deep. But what we saw last week is that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, is himself the manifestation of the love of God. He is the love of God between the love between the Father and the Son as a person. And so Don, Don walked us through kind of a, a biblical case case for that, of seeing how closely the Spirit and God's love is tied in, in, the, in the Word. And we can see it here too, right? You can see God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so th- there it is again. It's, like, it's, it's, it's almost as if it's one in the same thing. It's, it's as if God's love being poured and God's Spirit being given like, are the same thing. And that, that, that's kind of the, the, the case that Don made last week is that the Holy Spirit is the love of God. He is the love of God as a person. And so God's love being poured into your heart and the Holy Spirit being given to you is the same thing. It's the, it's the same description of the same event. The Holy Spirit being given to us is the love of God being poured into our hearts. And so when, when Paul describes it, he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And, you know, this, is, this is salvation. Like, this is what it means to be a Christian, that God, that, that God has given you his spirit. God, God has poured out his love into your heart. That, that triune relationship has reached out to enfold you into that everlasting embrace. Like, like that's what it means to be saved, to be a Christian means you've been brought into that love. And yet Paul, Paul is also talking about something more than that here. Because, because this language of God's love being poured into our hearts, that's not just, like, just like some like theological description of what happened to you, how you got saved. That's experiential language. 
That's, that's something God wants for you, his child, to have, to have more of that experience of God's love being poured into your heart. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you're, if, if you're familiar with how the New Testament talks about being filled with the Spirit, you know, all Christians have been given the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit living in you, and yet at the same time, you're, you're called to pursue being filled with the Spirit. Well, I would argue that that's, that's the same thing he's talking about here. God's, God's love has been poured into your hearts. You've been, you have been folded into the embrace of the love of God. But there's more for you. There's more for you than just to know some stuff about God's love. God wants to pour more and more of his love and the experience of his love into your hearts. And so we want to drink deeply. I don't want to just know stuff. I'm dying of thirst. I want to drink. So how does that happen? If this is, if this is an experience, if this is, this is what I want, and, and says God's love poured into my heart, and I, I, I want more of that because I feel so dry and thirsty. And if you're, if you're a Christian, you, you have that desire in your heart to say, I, I, I want that experience. I want to taste and see. I want to know more of his love. And actually, if you're not a Christian, if you've kind of come in here and you're like, what have I stumbled into? I would argue that that's actually that the desire that you long for this too. It's just that we're all running around trying to, trying to drink from a hundred different fountains to satisfy the thirst. But this is actually what you want, because this is what you were made for, for God's love to be poured into your heart. So, so how does that happen? I want that. I want it more. How, how do I get that? And what we see here, the flow of thought, and as Paul unpacks this, what we see is that God's love poured into our hearts has content to it. There are things to know about his love. And you can see, see how, how Paul unpacks his argument. He says, you know, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us because for while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. There, there's, there's content here. What the Spirit, what the Spirit given to us does is he communicates the cross of Christ to us. The Spirit communicates the cross of Christ to us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The love that the Spirit pours into your heart, child of God, is a crucified love. It's an atoning love. It's he pours cross and nails and blood and the death of Jesus, dying love for you. That's what he pours into your heart. And that's the flow of thought here. It's because while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So, so what that means what that means is that to be filled with the Spirit, the Bible talks a lot about being filled with the Spirit. To, to be filled with the Spirit, to have more experience of his power and presence and love, that is not just, like, just an emotional thing. It's not just like some spiritual power. It's not just spiritual gifts. To be filled with the Spirit is to see more clearly the cross of Christ 
and Jesus' sacrificial love for us. That's what the Spirit fills up. That's what he communicates. This is what he does. To be filled with the Spirit is to see more clearly the cross of Christ and Jesus' sacrificial love for us. Again, because this is, this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. If you remember in John, in, in John chapter 16, when Jesus is explaining how he's like, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send another helper to be with you, and, I, and I'm going to be with you, and he, I'm going to send the Spirit. And in John 16, 14, he says that, that when I send the Spirit, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit does, Jesus says. He, says. he says, the Spirit takes what is mine, my love, my power, my grace, my glory, and he speaks it to you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to have more of that. The love of God, being filled with the Spirit, it's not just a feeling. It has content. It's the Holy Spirit, what, he, what the Spirit the Spirit's job is, what the Spirit delights to do is to take Jesus and everything Jesus is and reveal him to us. And look at, look at one, one more thing here. As we're seeing how, this, how the Spirit does this, look at, at verse 8. I, I, I want us to see something so so important. And verse eight is is perhaps a familiar verse for you, a verse that ma- many of us love. That says that God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want you to see something here. Let's do a little grammar lesson. And, and all the English teachers said amen, and all the middle schoolers groaned. I want to do a little grammar lesson here. So middle schoolers pay up, and anyone who's forgotten their middle school grammar lessons of like subjects and verbs and stuff, pay attention. Because grammar, the purpose of grammar is so you can see glory in this verse. So you can, be, so you can see the love of God in this verse for you. So, so, so listen up. God shows his love. What tense is that? Past, present, future. Present tense. <laughs> the homeschoolers speak up over that. Yes, present tense. Yeah, God shows his love. This is present tense. So this is, this is God today, this morning. God shows you his love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What tense is that? Past tense, past tense. The way God in the present shows you love is that he reveals his past tense work on the cross for you. The the, the present tense love of God for you today is the revealing of the past tense love of God for you on the cross. Like, let, me, let me say that again. I probably should have put it up on a slide because that's important. The past, the, the, rather, the present tense love of God for you today is the revealing of the past tense love of God for you on the cross. This is what the Spirit does. How is God's love poured into your hearts? How does God show you his love? Jesus died for you. And the Spirit's going to take that, pour it in. And so that's why 
everything else in this passage is the cross. Everything else is the gospel. Everything else is grace and the love of God because this is the content that the Spirit pours in. And so as we walk through this text, what I, what I want us to see, I, I want us to see as four things. I want us to see four things about the cross. Not just so that we can know some stuff, but so that today, even now, even this morning, that we could drink. That this love could be poured afresh into our hearts, so that we could be stirred and refreshed again to see God's past tense love for us today, now, in the present. And so... So let's, let's look at the cross here in Romans 5. The first, thing, the first thing I want us to see is that, is that this love, this, this cruciform, crucified love, gives us what we need. That this love and grace on the cross is exactly what we need today. You see what, what he says there in, ver, in verse 6. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak. Does anyone feel weak this morning? Does anyone feel worn out by, by, by the last year? Let's be honest. Does anyone feel worn out by the last year or the last week or, the, or like this morning? Anyone, like, anyone come dragging in failures and burdens? Is there anyone broken by sin? Is anyone struggling under condemnation? Like, is anyone weak? It says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And I love this, that Paul uses both of these words, because there's a lot of ways that we're weak. There's a lot of ways that I'm broken. There's a lot of things that I struggle with. But what Paul identifies as my biggest weakness, as my biggest problem is that I am ungodly, that, that I am on the run from the God who made me. And right into that weakness, right into that sin, is where this love lands with exactly what I need, that Christ died for the ungodly. So a quote by, by Max Lucado, a well-known Christian author, Here's what Max Lucado said. He says, what we need is exactly what the gospel provides. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an an economist, maybe, I don't know, a money tree, I don't know. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. This love is exactly what we need. No matter what failures and sin and shame you have dragged in here this morning, what the cross of Christ says is that this grace is enough, that this payment is enough. There's nothing else that you need to add, no other religious duty to paper on top of God's love in Christ going to the cross to rescue you. There's now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. You are are free. And so whatever your guilt is, there is grace. There is grace 
that is greater than all of our sin, where our shame was deep, God's love goes deeper still. And I'm, just, I'm so thankful that he came for weak people, right? That while we were still weak, God did not wait for you to get your act together. God wait, didn't, didn't wait for you to, to, to clean yourself up or to accomplish something. It was while, while you were helpless, while you were a sinner, while you were unable, that's when he loved you. And so his love is exactly what we need when in our weakness, that Jesus didn't come for strong people, because there are no strong people. Really, like, everyone that you, like, if you think of, oh, yeah, that person's really tough, really strong, they are faking it. We are all faking it. There are no strong people. And he didn't come for good people. Because there are no good people. Even the best of us. Even, even you think, oh yeah, I'm, I, I can go up against the best of us. Not even, none of us would want the last five minutes of our thoughts broadcast on the screen. There are no good people. And so he didn't come for strong people. He didn't come for good people. He came for weak people. For ungodly people. And so, good news. You qualify. This love gives us exactly what we need. And if you're still weak, well, that means you just still qualify. I, I, I saw this, uh, this short video uh, yesterday. Uh, my friend Dave Dorsey, who's is watching online right now, Dave uh, sent me this on Twitter, and I, I literally laughed out loud. Um, it's this video of a sheep, and it really it reminded me of, yeah, this is why I need a savior, <laughs> and, and this is God's love giving me exactly what I need. So go, go, ahead, and, go ahead and play this, this short little clip. There's the sheep. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's no sound to this or anything, but there, there, there's the sheep. Ah, he's free. It's me. Yay. Hallelujah. <laughs> Play it again. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> Can any of you relate to this sheep? <laughs> Here it comes. Jesus coming to rescue me, and I'm free. <laughs> I, 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 could, I could watch that all day. <laughs> if you are that sheep, you qualify. <laughs> there is, in fact, a good shepherd. <laughs> And watching that video, I'm reminded of, of what John Newton said, one of my favorite things that John Newton wrote. He said, I am a silly sheep, but I have a gracious, watchful shepherd. And so this is what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to you today. This is the, the, the content of his love that you have this kind of Savior for that kind of people, for you. And so if you're weak this morning, look to the cross. This Savior's for you. And he has grace to help in time of need. And again and again and again to keep pulling us out of the pits that we dig for ourselves, that we fall into. Grace for weak people, grace for ungodly people. Love for you this morning.
So that's the first thing we see here. God's love gives us what we need. And the second thing to see here in the text is that God's love is undeserved. God's love is undeserved, which, which might, if, you, if you've been around church, like you know that's not a surprise to you, but let's look again. Because the Holy Spirit wants to communicate some stuff to our hearts again. Here's verse 7 and 8. It says you know, that Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. So you know, earlier, before, before people were here and the band was doing their practice and sound check, I was sound checking, I was reading this, and, and Phil, our, our, our worship leader, I was reading that. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. It feels like, yep, I wouldn't. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> Though perhaps, maybe, Phil would die for a good person. <laughs> Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, because there are, there are people that I would take a bullet for. Right? There are people you would take a bullet for, like family, your, your spouse, your kids, your, your friend. Like There are people... That, that all, all of us know in, in that moment that I would step in front of the bullet for this person. But let's be honest. There are some people that you would not step in front of the bullet for. And maybe if we're even more honest, there are some people that you would perhaps prefer to be the one pulling the trigger. <laughs> real, real, yeah, real talk. <laughs> Here's the thing. What verse 7 and 8 says is that you are not one of those special, wonderful people who deserve to have the bullet taken for you. You deserve the bullet. That You are not one of those good, righteous, upstanding people if they existed, which of course they don't. You're the... the the weak and the ungodly and the sinner. I'm the weak and the ungodly and the sinner. And nobody in their right mind, no God on his throne, no holy, righteous judge should ever take the bullet for me. And yet, God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is grace undeserved. Again, this is not, this love is not earned. As if you could possibly work yourself out of that hole, like that sheep, and earn the shepherd's approval. It can't be done. And yet, God did not wait for you to clean up your act. And this morning, he does not wait for you to clean up your act. This morning, present tense, what God wants you to know is that Jesus died for sinners. And so if you're a sinner this morning, if you are ungodly, if you have been on the run from Jesus, if you, if you have come this morning and you feel that weight of sin and shame and that, that condemnation. You have come dragging in your failures of this past week or this morning or whatever. 
there's some good news for you, that this Savior's for you, and that God has love that he wants to pour into your heart this morning, love that is more than a match for the failures that you have brought here. Because this Savior went to the cross to stand in your place, to take the judgment and death and hell that we deserve so that sinners like us can go free. This is love. And so if you're a sinner, you qualify. This is good news. The third thing, for us to see, related to this, that, God, that God's love gives us what we need, it's undeserved. And then this in verse 9, that God's love saves us from God's wrath. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. There's a theological word there. Justified means declared righteous. The judge has pounded his gavel and said, not guilty. And even more than that, as Romans elaborates, that if you're in Christ, joined to him, you're riding his coattails and his grace and glory and perfection all the way, that everything he is gets counted to you, that's justified. And if we've been justified, not guilty, righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So here here it is, plain and simple. You and I deserve to go to hell. That's not a popular thing to say. That's not going to win me friends or help me influence, influence people. And oh, how we should say this with tears. You and I deserve to go to hell. Because we, in our weakness and ungodliness and sin, those are all the words in this passage describing us. You're not a diamond in the rough. I'm not, I'm ungodly, weak sinner. And if this whole universe, and me included, was made to take part in this drama of love, I'm on the run from that. We ignore that. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Even the best of us, the most spiritual of us, 99% of the time do not have the love of God and the bottomless depths of his grace on our minds. We're just living for ourselves. We are ignoring the God who made us and on the run from the God who made us, thumbing our nose at the God who made us and the king who deserves our allegiance and our obedience And we say, forget you, I'm living for myself and I'm going to love other things. And we turn our backs on this love. Nothing is more scandalous than that. You and I deserve to go to hell for the ways that we have rebelled against this king. And so if right now, the ground here at 611 Kingsville the Bel Air Road opened up and swallowed us straight to hell. If the sky split and fire and brimstone came down and burned, scorched this earth bare, it would be exactly what we deserve. And God would be just, and God would be fair, and God would be good. 
And the fact that it doesn't happen is grace. And the fact that it happened to Jesus instead of you is love beyond imagination. First John 4 says it this week. It says it this way. It says, in this is love. Here's love. Not that we loved God, because, you know, we haven't, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Another big $5 theological word. Propitiation means a sacrifice that turns aside wrath and absorbs it. That turns aside the bullet meant for me. That takes the hell I deserve and bears it in my place. That's what the word propitiation means. This is love. Not that I loved God, but that he so loved me. that the Son came forth, stepped out of heaven, stepped out of glory to bear my sin, to bear my hell, to die in my place. So that rather than the just sentence of death and hell falling on me, the gavel not guilty can come down on my life instead. Here's love and an invitation to all. The door's thrown wide open that if you want this love, if you see your need, if you see that weakness and ungodliness and sin, that there's an answer. And the the answer is, is so tragically easy that most of us miss it. Most of us spend our lives either running from the answer or trying so hard to measure up to some standard. Here's the answer. If you feel your sin, your ungodliness, your need, your weakness, it's just reach out to Jesus. Trust this Savior. Say, I want this Savior. Like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Because that, you, can't, you can't fix yourself. You can't, you, you can't work your way out of the wrath of God. But this Savior stood in your place so that if you will have him, this love will be poured into your hearts. You will be swept into this relationship of love. Because, you know, and it might be worth saying for some of you know more theologically minded, as we think about the wrath of God taken by Jesus on the cross, sometimes we can get this a little wrong and imagine somehow that that you know God the Father is angry and but Jesus loves us and so he kind of you know steps in takes our place that is not at all how the bible describes this triune plan of redemption it's not that that Jesus intercepts the father's anger it's the father loves you the father loves you and sends a willing son who loves you to bear the cost of bringing you into this relationship. And so this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. 
And now, the, the fourth thing, that God's love gives us what we need. God's love is undeserved. God's love saves us from God's wrath. And last, God's love gives us the best gift, which is God himself. Because there's a lot that God's love gives us. Forgiveness, rescue from wrath, eternal life, freedom. Listen to verse 10 and 11. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What what does reconciliation mean? It means that the person that you were at odds with is now with you. It means the obstacle standing in the way has been removed. So the the best news of the gospel, the, the word gospel means good news, there's, again, there's a lot of good news. There's forgiveness. There's eternal life. But that news is not the best news. The best news, the ultimate goal, is that all of those gifts like forgiveness and eternal life are a means to an end because they get sin out of the way. They get enmity out of the way so that we can have this one that we were made for so that we can be with this one that our souls long for, so that we can be swept into this reconciled relationship forever. See, forgiveness isn't the goal. Forgiveness just gets sin out of the way so I can get God. Think of this in any relationship. Think of like in in your marriage. You know, if... uh, you know, if I've, if I've said something or done something to, to make my wife mad at me, not that I would ever, you know, <laughs> not that I would ever do that, but if, if let's say, I, you know, I have offended my wife, I, I have sinned against her, and there is now this wall of stony, icy silence. This thing has come into our marriage, and I need to be forgiven. What's the point of that forgiveness? So I can, you know, so I can sleep better at night, so I, so I don't have to you know, walk on tiptoes around so I can feel a little bit better about myself? No. The goal of forgiveness is so I can get my wife back, so I can have that relationship restored, so I can be reconciled. That's what the gospel does. Don't don't just say, Jesus died to forgive my sins and stop there, because you're missing the best part. 1 Peter 3.18 says that, um, I'm just blanked on it. It's one of my favorite verses, and here we go. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He, the righteous one, suffered for us sinners so that he might bring us to God. That's the best news of the gospel. Reconciliation. Across the great divide of my sin, this Savior came 
so that he might bring me back across, so that every obstacle could be removed, so that I could have God and his glory forever. This is reconciliation, and this is, as Paul closes, he says, we rejoice in God, because this, this is what we're made for. This relationship of love is, what, is why you exist. And this is what Jesus has come to restore. Here's how, here's how John Piper says it. He says, the best news of the Christian gospel, the best news is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. This is the invitation. This is the the announcement. Every obstacle removed so that you and I can find everlasting joy. A taste now and full sight someday of seeing this glory, this greatness, this love forever and ever and ever. So if I could have the the worship team come forward if this is God's, God's love for us, and this is what the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts, then what should we do with that? Right? Do we could, like, does that mean we should just stand around and kind of wait for, wait for a spiritual lightning bolt to hit us and hope that God pours out some, some love? If being filled with the Spirit is to be filled with seeing the cross and God's love, well then, to be filled with the Spirit, look to the cross. Look to the cross. And then in looking to the cross, ask the Spirit to help you see. This is, this is the, the application, the, the practical. I want to be filled with the Spirit, so look to the cross And in looking to the cross, ask the Spirit to help you see. It means read your Bible, not not just for some rules for how I should live my life, but look, read his word, looking for atoning, rescuing love. And say, oh God, open my eyes so that I can see that here. Pour it into my heart. It means read, read books that, that help you see and understand and live more deeply in this love poured out for you. It means in small group, open up, sh- share your sin and your struggles because you're a weak person among weak people and discover the joy and freedom of repentance and forgiveness and God's love poured out to you through other people. It means in your prayer life, not just asking for stuff, but asking for sight. God, help me to see. Help me to see your love, to experience your love. Pour it out for me. Maybe, maybe we don't have because we don't ask. And then to sing. To sing songs that 
put our eyes back on Calvary, to put our eyes back on the cross, back on his love, get my, get my attention off of me and onto Jesus. So let's stand. And in the church, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's sing. It's Jesus, we, we want to see your grace, so pour out your spirit on us. We want to see your love. We want to see and know and feel more deeply and experience afresh that by your wounds we have been set free. By your blood we have been redeemed and you have crossed the great divide for us. So, Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you, the God of Calvary. Help us to sing but help us, Spirit, to see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.